He is risen. Hey. A little wobbly there. <laughs> Two weeks ago was Easter. Resurrection Day, we celebrate on Easter. We said last week that something happened after that Resurrection Day. We said that there was illumination, that there was restoration, that there was transformation, and that there was proclamation. We today are a part of a global movement of witnesses of transformation of Jesus Christ changing people's lives from every language, tribe, and nation. The exhortation that Jesus Christ gave has been fulfilled in many ways, but yet the mission's not fully done. Revelation 7, 9 does say, And there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. It was the vision of the Apostle John that was given to him of that end times. That's your destiny, that's my destiny as followers of Jesus, is to be part of a huge, huge worship environment. And Jesus, when he rose from the dead, he did not want us sitting around on our hands and going, that was all so sweet, that's great for me. It was like, no, you need to go. You need to be my witnesses. That's why in Acts 1.8, right before he ascended back into the heavens, he said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses. In Jerusalem in all Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And sometimes, I don't know about you, watching those people speak in different languages, our alliance missionaries who are involved in all kinds of places around the world. It's just refreshing and inspiring and convicting to be a part of that movement of what God's doing. For you see, it is fulfillment of the Great Commission. When Jesus said, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you until when? The very end of the age. So we live in this moment in time. And we are to be about proclaiming the resurrection and transformation through Jesus Christ. But a lot of times we get distracted. We get bogged down. And today we're going to circle back around and give encouragement to you and I in whatever situation you may find yourself in today to be on that mission of being a witness whoever we have touch with in our lives. And I want to encourage us that we will take the initiative to heart today as we turn back to a study that we were in before Christmas and I know you got a little ringing going on there but hang with us first Peter was a letter that we were in we took about a month break we come back to hit it straight on today and in the weeks ahead this interest in first Peter has to do with uncertain times 
uncertain times that people are involved in then, uncertain times that you may be experiencing in your own life this morning. And we've entitled it Unshakable because Peter leads off, and we referenced this again last week, with this verse, which sort of summarizes his passion in his heart as he writes to Christians in the Mesopotamian area at that time in modern-day Turkey and Asia Minor. Praise be to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope. A living hope, how? Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because he was raised from the dead. We have a living hope because we have a living Savior, as we've talked about. He is risen. You have a hope. And you have a calling. It's a witness. And today, as we step back in to the letter to the first Peter, I've entitled it simply, Freedom for a Change. And I also notice as we step through the scriptures that uh, I need to get myself moving in this letter or we're going to be here forever. So we're going to start taking some bigger chunks. Will you pray with me as we look to God's word this morning? Our resurrected Lord and Savior, Jesus we come today with hearts full of praise and thanksgiving as we worshiped you because you are our living hope. And Lord, in this room are gathered people from different kinds of walks of life, different places of spiritual interest, different places of spiritual growth. But Lord, today we pray that you would take your word from the Apostle Peter and apply it to our lives in a measure that would continue to bring illumination, restoration, and transformation, but in a measure that would help us also to be instruments of proclamation of your resurrection and the hope that we have in you. To our friends, to our relatives, to our neighbors, to our co-workers, Lord, even to our enemies. Lord, may we find ourselves filled with your spirit and filled with your word of instruction that comes from the scriptures. So this is a divine moment as you are with us until the end of the age when we will see you again. Equip us this morning as believers. Speak to us as seekers. And Lord, may all of us draw near to you through the teaching of your word. Amen? Amen. I uh, do not like to be one who is restricted do you get claustrophobic? I get claustrophobic fairly quick. I just need to, I, I don't want these environments. I can try to center myself in. We uh, were addressing this subject of freedom a few weeks ago. And we were talking about um, Christian faith is not something that puts you in a straitjacket that refines you or, or constricts you to the place of you don't have freedom. Throughout Scripture, it's proclaimed that we have freedom in Christ. And this freedom is something that God wants us to use in being able to give a witness to others. And so if we go back and pick up where we were about a month ago, we look at 1 Peter uh, chapter 2, verse 11, and we find these words. Dear friends, I urge you, as foreigners... And exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. 
live such good lives among the pagans that they, though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day that he visits. So he's exhorting these Christians who are in um, a difficult cultural, political environment that they need to not um, find themselves in a discouraged place and taking what God's given them with a living hope and using that freedom um, to go in directions that are not healthy, but to abstain from the sexual desires that wage against our soul, but to live good lives. He's asking them to be proclaimers, to be witnesses to the resurrection that had occurred a few years prior, but it was still carrying forward the whole Christian movement. And that they were to live good lives among pagans. And we said that pagans is sort of a harsh word. But um, really, it's, it's descriptive of those who are resistant, sometimes deeply resistant to the Christian faith, to Jesus Christ. And so if you're outside the Christian faith, then it was being referenced as they are pagans. All right? And... He wants you and I to live good lives amongst those who are outside the Christian faith so that they um, will feel bad for even accuse you of things, but they will see your good deeds and ultimately they will glorify God on the day that he visits. And we said that's whether it's the day that he visits them in conviction as he draws them to him or the day when Jesus Christ does return at the end of the age, that there's no excuse. It's like, I've got nothing to say. I saw the Christian life live before me. And I had conviction and I followed Christ or I had conviction and I ignored it. And so the question that we presented a few weeks ago and I present back to us today as we pick up here in uh, 1 Peter 2 is this. How can I live in a way that my life will impact people have an impact on people who are deeply resistant to the claims of the Lord Jesus Christ. Can I pause there for a second? When I put this statement up there, and, and as I was going back through it this week, I thought to myself, that's a great statement. It's a great question for us to ask. But there's a lot of individuals, and maybe you're one of those this morning, that says, who cares? That's not where my focus and my trajectory of life is at. I am trying to make it. I am trying to be successful. I am trying to build a relationship with someone. Whatever your agenda may be, this one may not be at the top. Wondering how your life can actually impact people who are deeply resistant to the claims of Jesus Christ. Can I just say this to you? I found it true in my life. Many of you have as well. We pursue purposes, ambitions, careers, success, and we spend a lot of energy going down that road. And a lot of times when we go down that road, we find success and we find some fulfillment and we find, you know, affirmation. But a lot of times when we pursue the ladder of success, we get to the top and there's nothing there. The reason there's nothing there is because you were made not to be absorbed with yourself and your own personal interest. You were made to be a part of a larger community that's called the body of Christ. And Jesus is the head of his community, his body. 
and as we participate in life as believers, as part of the body, under the headship of Jesus Christ, we need to take on the vision and the aspirations of our Lord and Savior. And when you and I take on the visions and the aspirations of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who was raised from the dead, who is the living hope, then we will move ourselves towards greater fulfillment and purpose in life. And so this very question of how can I make an impact on people that are deeply resistant to Jesus Christ is a question that you should ask, if not every day, on some type of regular basis. Is my life having an impact? And how can my life have a greater impact among the pagans or the people that you're around, whoever they may be? And when you dial into your purpose as it's found in the kingdom of God, you will find ways that you come alive that you've never been before. That's why we say at the Awakening Church to be fully alive in Christ and what? To his mission. And his mission is to draw people to himself to be a part of his kingdom. So this question, though it may be totally irrelevant to you this morning and what you're going on, I'm telling you that this question is a part of you finding fulfillment in life. Stock portfolios will let you down, and they have the last month. Careers that you thought you could get accolades from will let you down. Relationships that you thought, man, if I could just get this relationship worked out, you will still find that whoever you're in relationship with is a sinner just like you, and they'll let you down, and you'll let them down. Everything that we end up pursuing aside ultimately from the kingdom of God can let us down. But I have never found it true in my life when I keep the purposes of being an influencer for Jesus Christ with others to let me down. Now, I may grow weary in the work of ministry, but I never grow weary of the ministry. And the ministry is the ministry of the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit is drawing people to himself. You don't have to work at creating your own franchise here, friends. We participate in the franchise, the movement of the Holy Spirit. And as we participate in the movement of the Holy Spirit and what he's doing, there's just something in us that sparks of being alive. I'm alive in Christ, who he thinks of me and my identity in him, and I'm alive in his mission. And there's purpose in that. And so, he is risen, he is risen indeed. Go and be my witnesses when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Go and make disciples of all nations. That whole big picture in that vision is one of fulfillment, even if it is one of challenge and difficulty. The missionaries, and we're part of the Christian Missionary Alliance movement. If you're unfamiliar with who we are as a church, it's a broader family. About 2,000 churches in the U.S., many more thousand of churches around the world. Because it was a movement started 120, 130 years ago or whatever by a man who had a heart to fulfill this mission of making an impact on the world. His name was A.B. Simpson. And a month from today, we're going to have what's called Great Commission Sunday. And we're going to focus on some of the global missions aspects of who God's called us to be. Because it's just not about reaching your friends and your neighbors and your work partners. It's just not about reaching the valley here or even Southern California. It's about reaching the world. 
And as we are proclaimers of the resurrection, the living hope of Jesus Christ, and we participate in that, we find fulfillment and strength and purpose in our own life until the day the Lord Jesus comes or we pass from this life to the next. So just check that box. Ask yourself this question on a regular basis. And there's three ways that Peter begins to articulate how we can make an impact on deeply resistant people, uh, deeply resistant to the claims of Christ. And those three are the way I use my freedom, the way I choose to love, and the way I respond to suffering. That's why in 1 Peter 2.16, as we looked at a month ago, it said, live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves or God's bond servants in connection with his purposes and what he's doing. So with that, I'd like to encourage you to take your scriptures. And as we sort of move through things today, you're going to find that uh, uh, we're going to move through some sections here in chapter to the latter part fairly quick, but there's a section that really is where um, Peter is pointing the followers of Jesus to concerning the circumstances of that day, concerning the issues of freedom that they needed to be wise unto. Freedom is something that we can use and abuse. We don't like to be constricted. Don't like to be claustrophobic. We've been given freedom. But our freedom is not to indulge the sinful nature. Our freedom is to be able to use it to make an impact for Christ, even amidst all things that we come up against. And so begin with me, if you will, in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 13. Submit yourselves, for the Lord's sake, to every human authority, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority, or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to command, commend those who do right. Let me pause right there. You need to remember that uh, he's going to articulate the situations that they find themselves in. Unshakable hope in uncertain times. The uncertain time that they were in uh, had several difficulties to it. One of those had to do with the political environment, the governmental environment of their day. They did not have freedom these followers of Jesus, because they lived in Roman-controlled territory. And so here's Peter exhorting them concerning the political culture in which they live and what to do about that. And he wasn't being dismissive of, of them needing to be maybe engaged, but they weren't able to be engaged like we're able to be engaged because we live in a, a country that has a government that you can participate in. You get to vote, right? You can run for office, participatory. They had no freedoms to do that way. So it was a very restrictive kind of thing. But then he comes back around and he's articulating uh, this understanding of freedom and you're saying like I'm not very free I can't go do that I'll get in trouble for that I get in trouble for that I'll be restricted I'll be put in jail for that all right he understands the culture all right and he is trying to exhort them not to uh, become discouraged verse 15 
For it is God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. And then we have the verse we just looked at. Live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Like, come on. The emperor? The Roman emperor? Is that line in scripture right there? You need to honor the emperor? Hang with me because he's not saying that the emperor, the Roman emperor that day, was a good person and all that kind of that they, they were a person. They were trying to lead their Roman Empire and they were trying to do it in a way that brought glory to themselves and they were doing it in a manner that uh, was very um, crushing to other people but Peter doesn't tell them you get a big militia together there in uh, Asia Minor and you rise up and you go after them he's, he's, he's not trying to change that political environment of the day and you you always need to understand this with Scripture. Scripture sometimes is, is difficult because it's, it's not talking about what is perfect. It's talking about what is real. This is the reality, the culture in which we live. And we see some of the shift of that in our own culture and even our political world and wherever you may stand out on those things. You're like, okay, what do I do? Do I press back and make this my cause to the nth degree? Or do I step back and go, okay, God, what are you doing? And how can I participate in this world of reality that I'm in to point people, impact people that are deeply resistant to the claims of Jesus Christ? So it's a realsville kind of exhortation. And he talks to them about the freedom they have, but the freedom they have is the freedom they have in Christ, freedom from their sins, freedom to be able to live for the purposes of God. Show respect then to everyone, love the family of believers, fear God, and honor the emperor. So, that's the first segment of people that he's addressing in here, is those who are deeply discouraged, frustrated, or very much aware of the problems of the state. There are governmental issues, political state issues, that are being oppressive to them how are they to respond if they are going to point the pagans if you will to the claims of jesus christ so he goes on then to a second um, section here and this begins with verse 18 so in first peter 2 verse 18 he says this slaves in reverent fear of god Submit yourselves to your masters, not only to do, not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. For it is commendable if someone bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because they are conscious of God. But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. That whole section right there, we could labor and drop into it and spend a lot of time. Let me say this. There is nowhere in Scripture that Scripture says that slavery is okay. No place. 
It's not. But when we look at the subject of slaves, obey your masters, we have to understand the context there was a little bit different. It was a little bit different in that slaves uh, were um, sometimes educated. They were uh, given um, a salary, if you will. You could actually buy yourself out of slavery. Sometimes they were seen as sort of connected as extended parts. It's not like we think of the African slave trade that happened here in our country or in some other places where there's just oppressive slavery, right? So the closest thing you can probably get to an understanding of this exhortation related to today, reflecting back on what he was exhorting them to do, um, is the employer-employee kind of relationship. The employer-employee kind of relationship reminds me, though, uh, somebody on his desk once had, you know, you can't fire me, slaves are bought. You know, it's like uh, you can't, uh, you know, imagine how that culture maybe would have been. And maybe you feel like you're in an employee situation that you feel like a slave. But, you know, slaves could be, um, they could be bought. They could be traded. I guess it's sort of like, you know, with the NFL draft that happened this week. Uh, it's sort of like football players sometimes. Sports, you can trade them, you know, you buy them, that kind of thing. It, it wasn't this harsh kind of uh, reality of slavery, it was more the sense of who you are working for and who you are under the authority of concerning that work environment. And there were people in that day that were in unjust work environments. I won't ask for a raise of hands, but how many of you would say, I can identify with being in an unjust work environment. I'm real close to feeling like I'm a slave right? There are times in our life that we feel the oppressiveness in our work world. And so Peter is saying, all right, take stock. Your life's to be a witness to bring transformation to people who are far from God, deeply resistant, who need to come to an awareness of who Jesus is and maybe invite Jesus in their life to change their life. Peter's going after that, but he says, I know the culture in which you live. You are in an oppressive state. You are in an unjust work environment. And then he goes on, and there's um, a third sector of people. And he mentions it just briefly in chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. And he says this, Likewise, wives be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be one without a word by the conduct of of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. So what this third little scenario is, is that there were women in their marriages, in their home, who were becoming followers of Jesus, but their husbands were dragging their feet, right? In fact, they might have been totally indifferent. And so he has a word to say to them. And the word he has to say to them is to continue to be a witness in that home. Not to be berated and, and, you know, a doormat, that kind of thing. But be mindful of your relationship in that household. And so the third area is the difficult household or the problematic households that are there. Those are your three. The state, the work world, and the home environment. 
all three of those, you are to be an active witness and be used by God for his kingdom purposes of making disciples of all nations. Oh, I think I'd rather go be a missionary in some faraway land that I can have empathy for people rather than the people at my workplace. I am not interested, really, in trying to make an impact for them in Christ. Or my household, you don't understand my household. My household is broken. And whether it's a marriage, whether it's a family, extended family, it is a mess. And I'm just done. I'm just done trying to make an impact for Christ. I'll pull back. government lost cause you might say but there's a way to have a witness and it has to do with how you use your freedom let me give you this definition for freedom again freedom means you have the ability to make a different choice you have the ability to make a different choice you see, before the living hope comes into your life, there's really a lot of bent towards the sinful nature and you're stuck in the sinful nature. Your default is to always go that direction, whether that's you know, uh, you know, reacting violently against someone or just giving a, the standoff kind of thing or just being indifferent. But your freedom in Christ enables you to act in different ways because your identity is now not in what others think of you for. Mostly it's in who Christ thinks of you. You have now gotten a new spirit to dwell within you. And that spirit causes you to be awakened and to be able to uh, interact and react in different ways you never could before. You know... Freedom, a lot of times you think, I'm free, I'm going to go down a river with the current, I'm free. But if you're going down the river with a current, you are not free. You are not free until you go up current. Do you have the ability to go against the grain? Do you have the ability to go against your sinful nature? Do you have the ability to stand true to Christ in the midst of a culture that's uh, very uncertain in its operations? Do you have that freedom? And Peter says, you have that freedom in Christ who is the living hope because of the resurrection of Jesus, even death itself. You will not have to ultimately fear of because you will be raised from the dead if you are in Christ. And so this freedom means you have the ability to make a different choice. You have the ability to make a different choice when you are oppressed by the state, when you are enduring injustice at work, and when you're facing difficulties at home. Freedom means you have the ability to make a different choice. It was a joke that, you know, uh, Henry Ford, when he made the Model T, he says, uh, you can have any color you like as long as it's black. Right? Well, friends, you can have any color. You can have what God's given you. You are not locked in to a particular kind of response that's typical in our world in all three of these areas. John 8, verse 36, Jesus himself says, So if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Freedom. Freedom in Christ has been given to you. But how many different places in Scripture, and I could point several of them today, where it says don't lose your freedom by becoming enslaved again to fear, enslaved again to sin enslaved again to the pleasing of other people use your freedom to impact others 
for God. But that's a choice. You have to want to do that. And that has to be something that is front and center with your life rather than all the other peripheral goals and pursuits that you and I may have. I, um, I know that in my interactions with people that there's uh, oftentimes a lot of situations that are going on in our lives that bring us to a place of desperation. A desperation for hope. A desperation for change. Sometimes it's just a desperation to be able to uh, get to the next day. And I know in the midst of pain and suffering and the challenges that come our way in uncertain times, it's hard to grab a hold of what Peter's about to exhort us to. But I have found it true in my life that in some of the darkest times of my life, some of the most painful times when I was licking my wounds, when I was like, woe is me, all kinds of injustices happening around me, this isn't fair, that when I go the direction of what Peter's about to exhort us to do, I've been pleasantly surprised by the companionship and the comfort I've received from Jesus himself through his Holy Spirit. Jesus does walk with us. He does talk with us. He tells us that we are his own. Jesus wept when Lazarus died. Do you remember that story? Before he raised him from the dead, that whole thing of, hey, do you believe in the resurrection? I'm the resurrection life. Jesus comes up close and he empathizes with us. You have a friend in Jesus Christ, even if you walked in this church this morning and you are far from an understanding of who Jesus is or where God would maybe have a place in your life, I want to let you know that Jesus can be a companion that's, that's even closer than a friend. He pulled around him his disciples. One of those was Peter, and we talked about Peter last week, how bumbling he was and, and how he needed to be restored and all those things. Identify with someone like a Peter, a commoner who was, who was a fisherman, and Jesus said, come follow me. And when Jesus says, come follow me, he doesn't say, come get your body in church. Come do the right rituals. Get your act together and be a goody person. That's not what Jesus said. He says, come follow me, be with me. And as we go through these unjust challenges, whether it's in the state or the workplace or at home, he ministers to you his strength and his encouragement. And what Peter's about to exhort us to do with this freedom that we have may sound like, oh, that's a typical thing you should say in church. The pastor's preaching on that again. But there's a depth in it. In fact, for myself, as I was studying through it this week, and there's a particular point that emerged, I started to tear because it was true in my life. So what I want to do is I want to turn to this exhortation that Peter gives on behalf of of, yes, these three areas, but the greater aspect of uncertain times that come in our life. And he says to do this. First Peter 2, 
Verse 21. To this, Christian, you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. Oh, all this unjust stuff, this type, what do I do? Follow in the steps of Jesus. Do what Jesus did. He has given us an example. He's given us an example even on top of the salvation he gave us through what he did. Let's look intricately at some of the things Peter then says about this example that Jesus gave us through his sufferings. He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. Friends, truth is one of the first things that's banished when conflict comes in our life. Oh, there's two sides to every story, we say, right? But there's really only one reality to every story. Why do we say there's two sides to every story? It's because there's two different people, and they're going to look at it two different ways. And believe it or not, sometimes, even unknowingly, we begin to sow deceit in there, and we commit sin because we want ourselves to look good in the situation. And he's saying, look at the example of Jesus. He committed no sin. There was no deceit in him. When he was taken before Caiaphas, and we looked at this whole journey through the Passion Week, Caiaphas says to him, so are you the son of God? And he says, you say correctly. He didn't lie. He didn't pull back any punches. He spoke clearly the truth. And so if you're to follow the example of Christ and exercise your freedom, you don't have to go the route of deceit with other people. You don't have to go the route of whatever sin you are enticed by in that situation, whether it's something of a larger uh, state issue, whether it's something in the work world, whether it's something in the home life. You can choose, because of the example of Christ's sufferings, to commit no sin. You are no longer slaves to sin, Scripture says. You have been freed from sin. So you choose in that moment the Christ who lives within you to step forward to commit no sin, no deceit. And sometimes it's hard to share that truthful word because maybe there's consequences from it, right? Uh, right? But this is where you need to go with your freedom. Go upstream. Do not commit sin. Do not bring deceit into that situation that you're trying to be a witness from to be able to make an impact on those who are deeply resistant to Christ. And then he says this, when they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. He could have retaliated, right? Oh my goodness, he could have. He could have gone down the armies of heaven. He could have gone down the armies of heaven and say, that's it, I'm done with you folks. But he didn't retaliate. When he was slandered, when he's spoken evil against, when he said all the way, beginning with Caiaphas there, all kinds of stuff began to be spewed out at him, and he chose not to retaliate in that moment. So let's take the example of Jesus 
into our everyday practice of the difficulties that you and I are facing today. This week, maybe some that you don't even know are going to come to your path this week. And you have a, have a chance uh, to, to do something different with your freedom. Uh, you could go and, and just come back at them. I mean, isn't it true? And some of you are really good at this because you're snarky. Maybe you, you just have a sly way of being able to slip one in there that, you know, is like, ah, I crushed him with that. Your words can just, boom, put people in their place. You have freedom to choose not to retaliate. And when you don't retaliate, there's a witness. Even if it's a quiet witness or never even acknowledged by the person, there is a witness that speaks through that non-retaliation example that comes to us from Christ. And then it says this, when he suffered, he made no threats. This is where he could have called in the armies of heaven, right? I'm done. He stayed true to God's purposes. And he made no threats. I'm going to get back at you, right? Why, why are you going there? What's that going to get you? You know, I... Uh, I know there's times in my life where I've seen that. I know there's times in your lives, because I've talked with some of you, and I know your testimony. And you have gone that route, and you've retaliated, and it never really got you very far, did it? But then you come to know the freedom of Christ, and that you chose, you chose not to retaliate. You chose not to speak back and all of it. And so you, you have these aspects. He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. In other words, would you climb close to the work of what Jesus did, Good Friday and all? Here we are, two weeks on the other side of Resurrection Day that we celebrated, and we need to remember the example of Jesus again today. And we need to live by that example because we are free people. And we do not have to be controlled by the sinful desires of our life. So what do we do? Those are things he didn't do. This is what he did. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. I don't know about you, but what you do in this situation is you just don't sweep it away and say, all right, just forget about it. They did me wrong, that kind of... No, I take it to the Lord and I leave it there. There's an old song that says, leave it there, leave it there, take your burden to the Lord and leave it there. I, sometimes my burden is the injustice that's been done or is being done to me. You take it to the Lord and you leave it there because God says that he will judge justly at the end. And we entrust ourselves to him who is the perfect and good judge because we're not always very wise sometimes in seeing the full ramifications of the picture. So as an example, I choose not to sin. I choose not to fall into conceit. I choose not, you know, to harm, to retaliate, right? I choose to entrust myself to God. And that is an action that is not a, um, a dysfunctional state of dismissiveness. I'm actively giving it to the Lord. And he will choose in his time, all wrongs will be made right. Friends, we could uh, take all the injustices that are in this room, and there's probably several that have been made in your life, 
and we could go to trial with them. Do you know how long we would be in trial? We would be in trial forever, for a long time. Then you take all the people of the valley, all the people of the world. Right? Is it, there is no way that all the injustice will ever be made just amongst ourselves. You know, I was you know, catching little glimpses, crazy you know, there's always some type of court case going on in modern media, right, in this uh, Johnny Depp, Amber Heard kind of thing. I'm like, can't you just get that thing settled in a few days and figure it out, right? Think about the injustices that go on in your life. If we put them all in trial, we would never, ever get all the injustices. But there's something inside of us that says, that's not right. There needs to be justice. Well, friends, if God wasn't in the picture, that's where you go. And we see the world bantering and fighting against each other because of the injustice, right? In whatever category it may be. And it's not necessarily wrong to fight the injustice, those kinds of things in our life. But when it comes to ultimate justice, you need to entrust yourselves to God because He is the one who will just judgely. So what do you do with the injustice? What did Jesus do with it? He absorbed it. He absorbed it. He took it into himself. And it's in that that I had my tears this week. Because I never thought about that. It wasn't that I had just, well, shut down. I won't say anything about that injustice or, you know, maybe somebody else will give them their due someday. I realized that I chose not to retaliate. I chose not to sin. I chose not to justify myself. And in that, I took a hurt. I took a hit, if you will. I took the pain, absorbed the pain within. But the conflict, the sin, stopped at that moment. And that's what Jesus did on the cross. He took our sin, all the injustice... He absorbed it. He bore it on a cross. He forgives us of our sin and the sin of all the others, and it stops at the cross. Sometimes you wonder, maybe there's friends of yours going like, will you ever get over that? You just keep going on and on. Well, have you taken it and given it to the Lord? Leave it there, leave it there. And there's something beautiful about when you take on the hit, the pain of injustice, that you're able to identify with the intimacy with Jesus. And friends, that's, that's some of the beauty that I long for. I long to be intimate, to know the Lord. He said, come follow me and I'll show you. And, and Peter, what? Peter died a martyr, we said last week. But he died as one intimate with Jesus and he now reigns with him forever. And so I want to encourage us to look at the example of Christ he himself, it says then in 1 Peter 2.24, he himself, the next slide, he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. The mystery of the cross. That cross, the suffering of Jesus, he paid it all. All things will be made right. You don't have 
to go by the way of the world and the way of sin. Take on the example of Jesus Christ. Remember him. Choices, friends, are the essence of freedom. Choices are the essence of freedom. What course of action is going to be redemptive in my situation? There's a beautiful passage in Ecclesiastic that says these types of things in chapter 3, verse 5 through 8. There is a time to embrace and a time to refrain. A time to tear and a time to mend. A time to be silent and a time to speak. A time for war and a time for peace. There may be situations in your life where it's a time to try to make amends and you sit down and like we are last series, you try to make amends with a broken relationship. You need to take action. A time to embrace. But there's sometimes that you need to refrain from embracing. There's sometimes you, you need to speak but sometimes you just need to remain silent. There's sometimes to fight and sometimes not to fight. So I'm, I'm not saying to be a doormat in this, but you need to discern with your freedom what you need to do in these situations of injustice that happen around you. So here's the question. How do you discern the time? You discern the time by remembering the objective. And what is the objective? Take it in the broader context of the passage that we were looking at today. What is the objective? Well, verse 25, Peter says, For you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd, the overseer of your souls. So you return to the example of Jesus Christ. And why did Jesus Christ do what he did on the cross and all of his suffering? What was his objective? His objective was front and center this. To act redemptively. And so in all your situations and my situations that come to us that may be unjust, whether with the state, in the workplace, in the home, and you're saying, how do I respond? You take upon yourself the example of Jesus Christ and say, how do I respond in this time? Is it a time to speak or a time to be silent? A time to embrace or refrain from embracing? What do I do, Lord? You decide in that moment, how do I act redemptively so that this person may be able to see Jesus Christ. How can I get even is not what you ask. Don't ask that. Don't ask, how can I cover my back? Don't ask that question. Don't ask, how can I prove that I'm right? Don't ask that question. How can I win? Don't ask that question. The question you ask is, how can I act redemptively. What could I do as best as I can judge right now to open the door for God's redeeming life and changing love to touch this difficult circumstance and draw this person maybe to Jesus? Friends, I don't know about you, but that question helps me a lot. It helps me sort through some of the self-centeredness and the sin stuff in my life. Well, how do I act redemptively? And sometimes you act redemptively by tough love, by time to speak, by the time to maybe sometimes push back on something. Are you really right with that? But sometimes it's not. And, and you're not like just taking the hurt just so you can be a doormat. You're taking the hurt because Jesus took the hurt and there's something redemptively when all the fighting and the conflict just ceases and we seek to see 
reconciliation foremostly people reconciled to God. Friends, retaliation is easy. Redemption is hard. Remember the example of Jesus Christ. Ask him to act through you. Do you have your situation you're thinking about? We're going to close with a time of communion here this morning. Always sort of share communion together at the first part of the month. And as we share communion today, I'm going to allow you to have a few moments with a, a closing music video, actually, for you to just pray to the Lord concerning maybe a situation that you're in where you need to take on the example of Christ. Where you need to do, as 1 Peter 21 said, this is what you were called to. Because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps, he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds we are healed. And so if you'd reach under your chairs, you have a cup with a bread wafer that's on the top part. You can pull back the top part of the wafer and the cup. Don't take of the elements now. But in this time of reflection, I want you to remember. I want you to remember what Jesus did. And then I want you to examine your own heart. It's what it says in 1 Corinthians I received from the Lord what I also pass on to you. On the night Jesus was betrayed, he took bread, and when he'd given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So the bread, the bread wafer, represents the broken body of Christ, and we're remembering his obedience to being broken. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. We're proclaiming salvation for our lives. And if you've not received Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you can take these next few moments and just surrender your life to him and say, Jesus, come in and change me. Take that sinful, all those sins, and, and cover them with your blood and your forgiveness. But for those of us who are followers of Christ in this moment of communion, I want you to remember and I want you to examine because it goes on and says this in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty seven. 27. So then whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink from the cup. I want you to take a moment to examine. Is your life exemplifying the life of Christ. Jesus lives within you. Let his life live through you in that circumstance and situation. Remember his obedience to the point of death, the breaking of his body, the shedding of his blood. And you stay true to the obedience that God calls you to in your life right now. Remembrance. So I brought in the Hillsong Band. We're going to watch a live presentation of them with a song that they wrote called Remembrance as it reflects here with the Lord's 
table. These are your moments. During this time, as you feel led, you can take of the bread and you can take of the cup. But most importantly, in this remembrance, is that you listen. Will you pray with me, Jesus? We ask through your Holy Spirit that you would take many of the situations. Maybe there's situations from years gone by. Maybe there's something that happened this week. Situations that have caused us unrest. Injustice that's been done to us. Injustice that we're bothered with by the world that we see around us. Injustice that's happened in a workplace or injustice that's happening in a home. Lord, may we remember your example. And may you help us to entrust ourselves to you who judges justly. And may we live in freedom because freedom means we have the essence to choose. Your Holy Spirit enables us to not go by the way of the world, but to choose your way, to choose your example. The one who took upon himself the pain and the suffering for all sin. Lord Jesus, we commune with you in remembrance.